Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Colleen Wachope, to our show today. Colleen is the co-founder and co-CEO of MindBody Green, a digital media and lifestyle brand at the forefront of the wellness movement. Colleen spent 10 years working at Fortune 500 companies like Gap, Walmart, and Amazon. It wasn't until she was in her 30s after she had a life-threatening pulmonary embolism that she realized she had to figure out a new way of life. She was working at a fast-paced corporate job in New York and never really took any health signals she had seriously until she was dealing with her own major health scare. It was at this point she realized she had to work on the fundamentals of her own health and well-being, which eventually led her to join her husband in starting Mind Body Green, where they were talking about wellness way before wellness was even a trend or word. Mind Body Green now garners over 15 million monthly unique visitors. In this episode, we talk about how she made the leap from Amazon to entrepreneurship and the exact steps she took along the way. We also talk about how you can uncover your passion when you're confused about what you want to do in your life, how to avoid burnout, and how to think about your self-worth because that is so critical in both your personal and professional life. We also talk about her latest book, The Joy of Well-Being, and how we can all cultivate a more joyful life and what we can do to take control of our health and happiness, especially in the modern busy lives we live in, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Colleen. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm so excited. I admire everything you've built. And I know before the podcast, I was just sharing your realness around entrepreneurship, leaving corporate. Like I love this, and I think it's such an important conversation to have. So this is going to be a really fun one for, I think, all of our listeners and me as well. So thank you again. Of course. Excited to dive in. Yeah. Well, before we go into your own journey, I'd love to start with a higher level question all about risk. I know a lot of people look at founders and they're like, gosh, they must love risk. They just automatically are daredevils with everything. But I'd love to hear about your relationship with risk and how you've kind of become more comfortable with it in time. Yes. I have a very complicated relationship with risk. And I think like all of our beliefs around big things like money, I could trace it back to my childhood. I am probably the least likely entrepreneur. After college, I worked at Gapping for eight years, Walmart, Amazon, Jason, my husband, founder and co-CEO, always jokes I missed Exxon on my tour of duty. And I can really trace that back through some therapy to childhood. My was the daughter of two OG entrepreneurs. This was before the age of venture capitalism and the glamorization of entrepreneurship. My dad owns and my mom and dad own car washes in Los Angeles. And my mom and dad also owned a French patisserie. Bear in mind, you know, they have no experience prior running car washes, definitely no experience being entrepreneurships. They were not people who built a business plan. They were people who kind of dove in, saw opportunities. And growing up in Los Angeles, I would remember when it would rain as a child, I knew my parents weren't going to make any money that day. So I did not approach entrepreneurship, you know, even from a very young age as, as something that I wanted. And later when I was 19, my father was actually robbed at gunpoint on one of his car wash properties. And I remember police officers coming to my house and I drove immediately to the hospital. I wasn't quite sure what state I would find my father in. So a very long background (laughs) to say that I was not someone who kind of gravitated towards risky solutions. I really craved, you know, that stability, that being held, being supported financially and not having to be, not having to have money be something 
that I worried about. So it really shaped kind of how I started my entrepreneurial journey and that I didn't dive in right at the beginning when we were not making any revenue. And that concept of financial wellness has been a guiding principle for my husband and I in our personal life. And ultimately, we had to align our different views on risk so that we could align on how to run the company. And you know, financial wellness and being profitable is very much in the zeitgeist we're talking right now in, in Q2 2023, but it hasn't always been. And that's really been an important value for us because there is so much stuff that can just get thrown at you being an entrepreneur. And I think the past three years, that's been intensified and it's been magnified, but you don't want to have to worry about things that you can control. And financial discipline, it's so unsexy. People don't love to talk about it, but it's such an important pillar of how we run the business. And I think it's been a big part of why we built such an enduring brand and business. Oh, I love this. I feel like there's so much to dig into on this. And it's interesting because I also grew up with a dad who was very entrepreneurial. My parents are actually divorced and both of them told me, always be financially independent and be on your two feet. Like, especially as they had two daughters, that was like the biggest gift for, yeah, similar to you, like she's nodding right now for people who aren't watching the video, both my parents. And I didn't realize my financial relationship until I quit my corporate job and really dived into my own venture. I was like, oh, I'm fine. I've saved money. I've always needed that financial padding before doing any leap. And I made sure the business is profitable, but it's still something I'm unpacking. And it's just interesting to see how childhood or certain experiences, like you've mentioned, can really shape you and your relationship with money. And sometimes it's when you take that risk and that leap, even though me and you are both thoughtful about it, it still shows up and unpacks. And I'm curious from your perspective, you know, you've done so much therapy you've talked about, and the business is obviously much larger now at a scale. Do you have other financial, I don't want to say worries or thoughts that kind of come up now being in this phase of your life with a family, a larger business? Yeah. So I've come to learn that stress, whether it be financial or otherwise, doesn't go away. And what I'm trying to do is really build resilience to it and also unpack the why as to to why I hold on to it in such a way that it's unproductive. Because you can take the lesson and move on. And sometimes I have a tendency to ruminate and to spin instead of giving myself the permission, the forgiveness to just say, oh yeah, I'll take that lesson and move on. So that's something that you know is a work in progress for me and you know will probably always be part of my well-being journey. As we've grown our family and needed to be more thoughtful around family planning, I do have to give a shout out to Facet Wealth, which is the best financial advisory you know, service we found. And it brings my husband and I together four times a year with a qualified financial professional. And we've learned so much. you know. And I thought my financial acumen was pretty good from corporate America and running a company, but I've learned so much. And it also gives you as a couple... This wonderful therapist, she's clearly not a therapist, but that's just the role she played, where you're having these honest, open conversations about money and what you want to invest in and you know these big conversations. And so many times, whether it's in life or in well-being, we don't make time for the big stuff that's actually going to move the needle. And maybe you're talking about, should I go out to dinner or should we buy this marginal expense? But you're not actually talking about the things that are going to have the highest yield or the highest ROI. So that's been a recent change that we've made in the past year. And it's just been so beneficial for us on a personal level. I love that. I think just the fact that you guys are getting together as a couple and looking at your financials and having these conversations, like a lot of people don't even do that. And I love that you mentioned thinking about the bigger picture items. You know, Drew and I, he's also an entrepreneur and we don't have any kids yet. That's something that we're planning. And obviously me being in my first business, working all the time, we have real conversations about like, what does it look like? What help do we need? How do we need to adjust our budget as a family if we're now going to hire help? And just things that are important to both of us. And that could be just tricky to talk about. But I just think having these conversations, like you said, on these bigger items versus do I need to go get that coffee and spend $5 on that? Or like, should we take this trip, which is still, you know, important depending on your situation. But sitting down together and really understanding your financial well-being as a couple and what you guys are spending and what's important to both of you, I think is really important. So I love that that's just been 
such a great talking point and thing that you and your husband are doing. And I'm going to fast forward a little bit, but I kind of want to talk about your early 30s. Now, you mentioned you had all these amazing corporate jobs. You never thought about entrepreneurship. You were kind of going up the corporate ladder, doing really well financially. And then you hit an inflection point in your life in your early 30s that really changed everything for you. So can you talk more about that and what was going on in your life at the time? Yeah. So I was working at Amazon in New York, working really hard, lots of hours and, you know, kind of had that quintessential New York existence, like restaurants were really important to me at that moment in time. And I wasn't quite listening to all of the sounds of my my body and what it really needed. And it gave me a really big hit from the universe where I had a near catastrophic pulmonary embolism, which is somewhat of a me- Euphemism for saying I got really close to death. I had been going to a Tara Styles Strala yoga class like every Saturday at 11 a.m. It was like my New York ritual. And in a particular May morning when I was leaving class, I was like, I feel a little out of breath. And I was walking around the West Village. I had my husband, Jason, come in and meet me. And then I was like, you know, I think we need to go home. I don't feel well. So we took the, the subway stairs took the train home, was walking up the subway stairs. This station happened to be particularly steep. And and I collapsed walking up the stairs and eventually got out of the subway station. And then I called my general practitioner and I, I do what so many women do. I proceeded to gaslight myself, was like, it was a hot day. I worked too hard in class. I'm dehydrated, you know, anything to avoid going to the NYU ER. And this is something I continue to work on. As a woman, especially with children, you always have to kind of listen to those signs from your body when something's out of whack. So come Monday morning, Jason said, you can't go to work unless you stop by the doctor. I go to the doctor. Within three minutes, he's like, you're having a pulmonary embolism. At the time, I didn't know what it was. I was totally bewildered. He gave me this little sign. I'm having a pulmonary embolism. I was like, go get a cab, go to the NYU ER. I was unclear if the sign was because he was worried about me getting there, if he was worried I wouldn't be able to communicate once I got there. But I had showers of clots in my lungs and was really lucky to be alive. And when a 32-year-old, you know, healthy-looking woman has a PE, you know, of course, there's a battery of tests that are done. And while I don't have many or any risk factors for increased clotting, I had been on the birth control pill for about 10 years. And I got on the pill in college at Stanford, and I remember you had to take a test. And it was mostly about how not to get pregnant. And I think there were some questions around risk factors you know, associated with smoking or being extremely overweight. So I think I dismissed that in my brain, even though I knew it could be part of this puzzle. But that started a really long healing journey for me of looking at my entire life and evaluating you know, what was working, where I needed to be shifting. And the upcoming book, The Joy of Wellbeing, is really the roadmap that I wish I had over 10 years ago because I started this wonderful adventure of trying everything in the 2010s in New York from the more Western conventional side to really the more holistic healing side of things. And it wasn't the most efficient journey of getting to the life I really wanted to cultivate. There was lots of zigs and zags, and it's the roadmap that I wish I had when I was starting that journey. And my hope in having gone through that ordeal and kind of sharing it is that we, especially as women, can get better about listening to the whispers in our body when something's off so that it doesn't take such a catastrophic event to move closer to the authentic life we should be leading and that we can start to ask ourselves with a little bit more regularity if if we're on the right track. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it every 
effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia, and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com, and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com. And check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening, and now let's get back to today's episode. Oh, gosh, I can't even believe that story. And I am just so passionate about something you said in terms of being in tune with your body. And that's something that, you know, I also was working in New York. I had no connection between my brain and my body. And I was also on birth control. So my questions are always, did that kind of stop the connection between the two? Because your hormones are essentially shut off, at least from my experience. But it's crazy to hear how you think it was from potentially birth control. And this is separate, but like with my business, Bia, we're just very passionate about educating women on the pill, that there's different options available in terms of like, if you're on it for PMS or hormone regulation, like as you preach, right, all these wellness principles, you talk about it all plays a role. But yeah, that is, wow, that's really incredible. And I'm curious, we have a lot of women on the podcast, not a lot, but a good amount that have similar stories of we interviewed someone, the founder of Partake Foods, and she was with her daughter and she was having heart palpitations and she didn't even realize she's having an anxiety attack. She's like, I'm fine. I've never had issues. Like I'm healthy. I'm young. She didn't even know similar to you and didn't take it seriously. And, you know, obviously now she's more in tune with her body, but it's like, how can we have women take it seriously that if you're not feeling good, like it's important to double down on that. And I'm curious from your perspective, how did you create that connection with your body? Was it just after this traumatic experience, you realized like, oh my gosh, I saw all these red flags, but I didn't really take it seriously. Like, how did you really get that connection within yourself that so many of us are missing? Yeah. I think at that moment in time, if someone had said to me, listen to your body, I would be like, well, I'm not hearing anything. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, you know, is some of you know, the pushback around perhaps the intuitive eating movement or, or other wellness modalities where they already assume that you are at a certain level of connection and communication and vibrate vibrancy with what's going on. I was not listening. I wasn't listening to those whispers. And if I were to give myself advice now, I do think there's a series of check-ins that you need to give yourself of really simply, what is it in my day that brings me joy? And that was something that I think if I had asked myself that at 32, I would have been like, well, nothing. <laughs> or maybe it's a margarita on a Friday night with friends, which, you know, isn't enough to sustain a well-lived life. And I think you have to, you know, now just like we do financial check-ins, I also have a personal mis mission statement, you know, borrowed from Arthur Brooks, that term and that coin where you are looking in at kind of the type of life and being really intentional about the type of life you want to live with the same mindset that you would your business. If you have business objectives, business goals, KPIs, it's like, why are you giving all of your valuable mind share only to your business? You know, how do you take those same frameworks, those same principles? And just like you do in your business, like goals change from quarter to quarter. And, and you know, what's important to you is going to evolve, not just through the decades of life, but through the quarters of life. And, and I think prioritizing that time to check in and evaluate the type of life you want to have. We're only here for 4,000 weeks. We got to make sure we get the most of it. Uh, I got goosebumps when you said that. It's, it's so true. And I'm curious, like going back to you're going through this traumatic situation, you're working at Amazon at the time, you're reflecting on your life and what brings you joy and just reevaluating everything. What were your next step from a career perspective? Did you stay at Amazon for a little bit while you're figuring it out? Or how did you think about your career after all of this? There was some staying on that needed to happen at Amazon. And it all goes back to that financial wellness. And when you're going through a traumatic health event, you know, having health insurance, having at least security about living and rent and, you know, having time for the things that you enjoy in life was really, really important to me. So I did stay at Amazon, probably should have stayed a little bit longer to, you know, cash in on some stock, but whatever. You know, there was just a point in time when I just like physically had to move on because I was 
connecting that experience to kind of my old life and the catastrophic event that had happened to me. And I had been working Mind Body Green on nights and weekends. And there was a moment in time when we finally got to a place where there was enough revenue for me to take a massive pay cut and join full time. And, you know, it was still a big stretch. And there was still a lot of thought that went into it to do that for our family. But there was enough momentum where it made sense for us. And it was at the right time spiritually, where I was really open to something I had never done, which at the time, I think the company had, you know, five employees. So and I was finally able to, to dive in and my purpose and my connection to health and well-being, of course, had started before then, but had really been reinforced by having this, this event in my life. And I, I think I had been a very kind of conventional Western kind of mindset. And you know, I, for the first time in life, was really trying and experimenting with an open mind and an open heart, all these different modalities, which had I not gone through this, I never would have been open to trying, which ultimately does help understand our consumer today on a level I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Yes. And it's crazy to think now wellness is a word, but when you guys started Mind Body Green and you were helping your husband on the side before you went all in, like, wellness wasn't a thing. People weren't talking about all this. And it's interesting because in another interview I heard, I think your husband said that his goal was to start building revenue three months or was it like three months, six months in, but it ended up taking three years, which again is a reality sometimes of entrepreneurship. And for you guys, we're so early in this concept of well-being and wellness. No one was talking about it then. So I'm curious, what shifted in the business where you did feel comfortable coming in? Like what worked for it to kind of bring in the revenue you needed? Yeah. And I think in this particular instance, it was a lot easier for us almost to start in a way in an area and domain where we didn't have any expertise. We couldn't talk ourselves out of all the things that could go wrong. And, you know, in the same way in which we have products now, but we haven't launched on Amazon because I know how hard it is. What was wonderful about those early days was we had blinders up to all of the naysayers. We were not embedded in New York media in any way. We had no experience with media. We didn't even like know what media agencies were. We didn't know how that worked. And it took a long time. Our site reaches roughly 15 million monthly unique visitors now, but you know, it took about a year, I want to say, to get to even just 100,000 unique visitors on a monthly basis. But we kept on seeing a little bit of those green shoes, whether it be traffic, whether it be a little momentum. And you know, now I fully see the value of momentum begetting other momentum, but there was always enough to be like, okay, we should keep going. We should keep going. And in the early days of Mind Body Green, the business was solely monetized on, on its website traffic, most of that programmatically. So we didn't have a sales team. It was you know monetized through Google ads. Once our traffic reached a certain point, it was enough to justify a few salaries. <laughs> I mean, salaries, but I'm sure I'm still a big pay cut from what you were making and no benefits and everything. But it's interesting what you mentioned about momentum. And I think that's super important, especially early. I mean, really at any point in your business, because sometimes I have people that tell me like, you know, I've launched something. It's been really tough and it's still hard. You know, whether you have momentum or not, like running a business is difficult. But I feel like you sometimes see these glimmers of hope that like, oh, I'm on the right track. Right. And I, I'd love for you maybe to talk more about that, because I think that is kind of what allows you to get businesses off the ground is when you continue to see these glimmers of hope, despite it still being so difficult in the early, early days. Yeah. And even once you kind of get through those early, early days and the, and the team starts to scale, there is a zig and a zag. Growth is not linear. I think you know the headlines that you read about if you're not, make you feel at times that if you are not on this hockey stick growth chart that you are failing. I get so excited about celebrating any type of win, any type of insight, because it does lead to that momentum and discovery of new insights. And unless you are part of a very, very, very well-funded organization that can just throw a lot of money at problems, your business is likely not going to be one of linear growth. And if you are experiencing that, 
you know, one of my life lessons is I wish when we had those days that I celebrated and enjoyed it a little bit more, because I think when those moments happen, whether it be platform synergy or whether it be an ad that's really resonating, a new partnership that maybe knocks it out of the park for you, enjoy the win. Because I think entrepreneurs tend to go to, okay, here's all the other things I need to do. Here's all the other things that could potentially go wrong instead of just enjoying the ride a little bit more when when you do have those tailwinds. Gosh, it's so true. And that's something that I've learned. I feel like coming from a finance background, you're kind of ingrained to look at the numbers all the time, which has benefited me. But I had this delusional expectations of myself. And like you said, like sometimes what people think growth is, and especially if you're not self-funded or even listen, I know businesses that have raised money that aren't getting like 100% growth year over year. It's hard regardless of your financial capital situation and what path you do. But I told myself like, okay, year over year, we're going to get 100% growth year over year. And then I'm hitting all these numbers and I feel so grateful that our business is growing. But kind of like that personal check-in that you mentioned earlier in the interview, I'm like, what's the goal, right? Yeah, the business is growing. And I feel so blessed that we're creating products to support women. But the change in these numbers and the growth in the team, it's not bringing me that happiness that I thought. And I think it's like always going back to why are you doing what you're doing? And like, for me, it's like doubling down on the customers and knowing I'm making an impact. I've never been in a position to help people, right? This podcast was the first time I saw that and I was so excited about it. But yeah, I'm curious for you, you know, because I think it's important. A lot of people might be listening who are starting a business that are like, God, I just want to hit my first six figures. And then when you, once you hit your first six figures, you're like, I want to hit the million mark. And then it's just continuously on you're on this rat race. But what has allowed you to stay grounded and excited? Because you've been doing this for so long, and I'm sure your goalposts continue to move right as you grow and scale. So how do you stay excited and build that momentum and feel fulfilled as you've built this business? So if our business was not connected to my life's work and literally principles that have like healed and transformed my life, I don't think I could do it. It wouldn't work for me if I was in the sock business per se. And I don't particularly, I'm not particularly passionate about socks because there is so many ups and downs on the journey. And it's not to me the physical work that I have any issues with. Like I'm a super hard worker. It's more the mental mind share that can expand in ways that at times are unhealthy. So if it was not a mission that I was deeply connected, deeply rooted, and deeply passionate about, I don't think I'd, I would be able to do this for 14 years. Oh, it's so true. And I think having that bigger purpose and the why, regardless of what product you have, because that can shift, right? Mind, body, green has shifted so much, but it's really making sure those values that you have are still there because it is such a tough road. And even if you're doing well, you need to have that grounded space that gets you excited. And money will only take you so far from my perspective. So I love that. And you know, I'm curious because you mentioned, obviously, people who come who work at corporate do well, our work ethic is like none other, right? Like that's how we're bred. And I'm curious, when you kind of go into entrepreneurship, yes, working hard is super important. But there's a different mindset and mentality that leaving corporate, it doesn't translate. It's just a different world, right? So I'm just curious from your perspective, what I'm trying to ask is, what were maybe some of those mismatched expectations that you had leaving corporate and starting and joining your husband in this business? The biggest one has been about the self-worth that you put as an entrepreneur. And again, this is something I'm working on and your business success and the inability to shut it off and disconnect. So I didn't find when I was at Amazon or Gap or Walmart that, you know, if my business was doing poorly, I was able to separate the two from my identity. I live and breathe and feel in, you know, the fiber of my belly, the good and the bad that happens on this journey. And that's definitely been the hardest transition. And, it, you know, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier is trying to train my brain to take the lesson, move on and disconnect. And I have to physically remove myself from situations sometimes so that I can get into that space. You know, sometimes it's, you know, doing a 444 breath work technique 
So that's, you know, if I'm not able to distance myself, I think having children has been a wonderful means for me to disconnect from work as well. And sometimes it's about connecting with something that's more spiritual for me, that's literally grounding. So now that we live in Miami, we're coming up on our our year here of living here, it's going to the beach, it's putting my feet on the grass, it's putting my feet on the sand, it's going into the water, it could be playing pickleball, but physically removing myself in a way where my mind has no choice but to take a little break. Yeah, it is so interesting because when you're working crazy hours for somebody else, you're like, I can't imagine working more. This is insane. But running your own business, like you said, it's whether you're working or not. And now I have a very small team. So I'm not, I'm obviously still involved in the day to day as we grow, but it's a different role. And it's like the mental load is still there, right? I'm always thinking about the business. I mean, we love it so much. And to your point, having that disconnect is really important because you've also mentioned this like running a business. It's not a sprint, right? It's a marathon. And I feel like I've been conditioned to like work in sprints. Like I worked in tech and we had sprints and every week we'd come up with features and that was like amazing. And I knew exactly what we had to do and I got us there. But running your own business is a completely different shift and rest and taking those moments of like active relaxation, like you mentioned, whether it's with your kids, getting out. I love what you said about removing yourself from the situation because I have my office. I mean, I'm in here at home. We don't have kids yet. I'm literally working and thinking about this all the time. And I think I was just telling my husband, like, I need to get out more, like whatever that is, go on walks. I'm trying to work out, increase my movement outside of the house. But I love that because I think the disconnect is super important. And you mentioned, you know, becoming an entrepreneur has made you a better person and a better mother. And you mentioned having kids have kind of helped you bring that balance. So I'm curious, we have so many women listening and I'm in that boat in terms of what does that look like to run a business and have kids? Because you already feel like you're super busy and adding kids in the mix. You're like, I see women do it. I've interviewed women like yourself, so I know it's possible. But how has it made you a better entrepreneur and a better mother? I mean, value wise, Ellie and Grace, our two daughters are at you know the top of our, our personal, our couple family mission statement. And they've really been so much of the why, of why we work so hard. And, you know, we think of the type of life and experiences that that we want them to be able to enjoy. And it's really changed and added another layer to our why that didn't exist. But I think when you have a business that you are so passionate about, it's easy to assume that your employees will share that same level of passion and enthusiasm for all things. And When we had kids, we would work on the weekends all the time. And while we didn't have that expectation of others to do it, we were setting that example by doing it. And we have now a wonderful boundary put in place. And I think it makes us more understanding of people and not just having children, because that's obviously not for everyone, but it could be whatever life stage you're in, whatever life you want to have outside of work. It's just a good reminder that no matter how important your business is, it's not the only reason for living. And you so much more empathetic to an employee base that may be dealing with a whole range of different life stages and the reality that your business is not their first priority. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You know, it's interesting when I was working at this tech company and I thought, you know, it was my transition from banking, but it was a great example in terms of like what it really takes to build a business. And the founder would tell me, you need to be thinking about this business like all the time. Weekends. I'm like, I'm working all the time. I'm not thinking about it in the shower. And it wasn't particularly in an industry that I, you know, naturally would think about, but I love the opportunity and it was a great point in my life, but I didn't know what that meant. And now that I'm running a business, I'm like, I can't put those expectations on my employees because they're not the owners of the business, right? Like we're thinking and we're working, but I do think it's important, like you said, to put boundaries, especially as wellness entrepreneurs, we're helping people and educating people. And anytime I'm in a rut, I'm like, I got to get my shit together because I'm trying to support women. And we do all these podcasts to support women when it comes to their health. And if I'm not doing the right things and I'm a total fraud. So I think like, having that real conversation with yourself and having boundaries is super important. And I'm curious, you know, 
You guys, congrats on this book, The Joy of Well-Being. It's so beautiful. I love the branding and all the words. Tell me more about the inspiration of this book and maybe some of the key pillars that you think are super important, maybe in your life when it comes to well-being. Yeah. So as you were mentioning at the beginning of the podcast, when Mind Body Green was started, the word wellness wasn't really part of the zeitgeist. And it wasn't words that we were using to describe our mission statement. And, and now we use those words just because it's such a part of the, the cultural lexicon now. But when I think about the word wellness, I have such a complicated relationship with the two extremes that I see on social media. So on, on the one hand, you know, what I see is a Kardashian type wellness where there is, in the words of one of my friends, JJ Virgin, too much emphasis on the frosting and not enough about baking the cake. And, you know, having been in this world for, for a long time now, I'm, I get into the frosting too. I sleep on an eight sleep cooling mattress here and I enjoy that stuff. I was at resistance training class, you know, yesterday. But when you think of the true needle movers, the things that are going to move the needle for you, it's the foundational principles. It's about baking that cake first. And then on the other end of the wellness spectrum, you've got the biohacking longevity bros. And it to me is, is an extreme and a different version. And it's not something that I can relate to. It's filled with protocols and rigidity. And when I look at wellness right now, a lot of times it starts from this state that's more restriction than abundance. It's more about optimization than the journey. And it's, you know, completely devoid of, of joy. So we wanted to kind of reframe the conversation, reawaken the conversation. And when we look at wellness and longevity, we're like, it is literally our job to be at the forefront of this conversation. And we don't have time for these protocols, for these routines as parents as entrepreneurs, but regardless of what life stage you're at, you know, how do we think about well-being as something that we integrate into our lives and not something else that we add that doesn't really serve us? So we wanted to reframe the conversation and it's been a, a two-year journey to do that and to really deliver longevity for, for the 99% of us who, who don't have abundant time and resources and are, and are looking for science-backed tools that have been time-tested through the generations? Very long answer for you. <laughs> no, not at all. And you know, it's interesting because I feel like, I mean, wellness is such a layered term, but it could feel very overwhelming. And I love what you said about how can we make wellness more from an abundance mindset, something you're excited about because I get people, you know, we have this protocol where we use like the power of food to support women's hormones. And I get emails from customers or just friends that are like, listen, if I do this, am I going to feel better like in a week? And I was like, it's not right for you. That's not how I approach wellness. Like this is a lifestyle and it's something, especially when you're using a more natural approach, it just takes time. And that's just my philosophy. And not everybody has that philosophy. I know you do, which I think is really important because like you said, like it's these foundational skills, a lot of them, which don't require a lot of money to kind of get your health in place. So I'm curious, you know, you guys have, I think there's like nine pillars in the book, but maybe can you talk about a few of the pillars that maybe have been the most transformative for your life? I'll dig into a couple of them. So the first chapter starts with breath, you know, really because after my experience with the pulmonary embolism, it was the first time that I really thought about breath. And if you are looking to transform your health and well-being Breath is such a logical place to start because you are breathing 17,000 to 30,000 times a day. Most of us, half of the population is breathing all wrong. We are breathing through our mouths and not through our nostrils. And as someone who has been prone to anxiety in life, what's wonderful about nostril breathing is it actually activates your rest and digest system instead of your fight or flight system. So it's automatically helping you get to a more calm state. I have found it's something you can implement literally as you're talking to people. It makes you a better, more active listener because you aren't kind of waiting for that shot to you know get that good point in. So I found it's made me a more empathetic listener as well when I incorporate it into my life. And then there's a whole host of immune boosting benefits as well that why wouldn't you start there? It's such a great place to start. So that would be pillar number one. I'll touch on three more. Sleep has just been such a you know 
part of my own journey and something that I've been working on personally for, for like 20 years. And, you know, sleep is such a cousin of the anxiety that I was mentioning in, in the breath chapter. And if, if you don't eat well for like a month, no big deal. You know, you'll probably be okay. Body might get a little out of whack, but you're not going to end up in the hospital. If you don't sleep for three to four nights, you're going to end up in the hospital. And, and that actually happened to me in my early 20s. I didn't sleep for a couple of nights and ended up in the hospital. They gave me a Xanax and I slept, but that was kind of where my sleep etiquette started and stopped. So learning, you know, kind of how to retrain your body to sleep is such an important pillar. And I'm glad that there is such a movement right now around sleep fitness and that your night's sleep actually starts when you wake up in the morning and when you get that morning light exposure, which is, you know, such an important and easy thing to do here, especially when I live in Miami. But being thoughtful about your caffeine curfew, sleeping in the right room temperature. We sleep really cold, 65 degrees. I don't do sleep wearables every night, but I did get a treasure trove of data when I used my Aura for about two weeks and you know, did learn that alcohol and sleep for me is not a good combination. It was one of those things I probably knew, but somehow needed the device to tell me it. I still drink. I just try to drink earlier in the day. So I have my margaritas at lunch now instead of at dinner. You know, going back to the joy conversation, despite what every sleep expert would tell you, Jason and I still watch TV in bed at night. And it's just such a wonderful way. Right now we're in the midst of the Formula One series on Netflix to completely extract ourselves from work and from wellness and, and enter and learn about an exciting new world. The chapters that excite us the most are at the are at the end and they're on connection and purpose. And there are so many voices right now on social media within health, wellness, and nutrition. The most underrated kind of ROI in your health and well-being is really on connection. You know, the Gallup poll just came out today, highest depression levels we've ever seen. There's a Cigna study from 2019 that said that only half of Americans were having meaningful IRL connection. I wonder what that data would be today in 2023. And it is the most underrated part of our health and well-being. You literally will never see a connection influencer or a social influencer on social media who's encouraging you to kind of start and cultivate these relationships and, and these patterns. But when you look at the mortality kind of implications, it's definitely where we should be putting most of our impact. So the impact of diet on mortality, it's around 20%. Exercise more or less the same at around 30, but having a good real partner, being with close family and friends, pets can even fall into that, can actually have the most impact on your mortality of 45%. So there are so many science-driven reasons, never mind it just like feels so great when you're in good friends, to forge those connections. But I think you know we're somewhat in a crisis right now of being able to interact IRL. There was study that showed 30% of us are actually afraid now of interacting around and creates anxiety. So we are really big believers in, in the power of connection and community, and especially in moving to a new city in Miami where we came and you know, we didn't really have many close family and friends. We had to intentionally create those muscles and do those things that made us uncomfortable, asking women out you know, for a date or text or coffee with an intentionality that I didn't have for the 13 years that I lived in New York. My favorite pillar is really that something bigger. And Dr. Lisa Miller, PhD, who actually lives here in Coconut Grove, Miami, was a huge influence on this chapter. And when we go back to the why, Jason and I have two girls and the work that Lisa Miller does around spirituality and the mom has been fascinating to us and has really shaped how we live our own lives. So she found that when the mom or parent is high in spirituality, that the child is five times less likely to be depressed. And so when I think of the things outside of Mind, Body, Green that keep me up at night, the mental health crisis is top of mind. And it's really hard to be a human right now. It's hard to be a boy, but I'm especially connected to the trials of adolescent girls because I know that's you know kind of the next stage in our parenting journey. And what I love about the way... Lisa Miller thinks about spirituality is it's truly this something bigger. If you're into religion, fantastic. You know, it can be that, but it can really just be a transcendent experience, time in nature, volunteering, helping others. And I think we've really lost that connection to something bigger. And it's this reminder that this well-being conversation 
Yes, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others, but it's about so much more than the you. We're all connected and that's going to have you know, the biggest impact once we take the conversation away from the self and, and make it about so much more. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions. I've never heard about Lisa Miller. Is that her? And she talks about spirituality for mothers. Is that her focus? One of her many. And she oh, actually cool. worked with the Pentagon as well and has done some fascinating work for them too. Oh my gosh. I love this. I'm really passionate about connection relationships too. His name just escaped my mind, but I think he's like a PhD and did the largest or the longest study on happiness. Yeah, I was just listening to him on a podcast actually like a few days ago. And I was like, my gosh, like it was interesting. He was also saying it's funny because for me, I naturally love to connect. This podcast kind of came in the COVID times when I wasn't connecting, but I don't look at myself as someone who gets people together intentionally. I kind of do it naturally. Like my husband, he's a connector. He loves getting people together. If it was up to him, we'd have people over at our house every single day. And that brings him so much joy. And I was listening to this doctor on this podcast say there's some people who you might not realize like the importance of connection until you put yourself out there and you're like, oh, wow, I feel like my cup is full now. And it's just interesting because if you're listening right now and you're like, oh, I'm not used to connecting with people or I don't want to go to that event that someone invited me to because I might not know people like I at least I know for myself when I'm there I'm like gosh I miss this right but leading up to it I'm like no I'm fine I don't need to connect I have my friends and family but I forget how much this in real life like you were mentioning can really make a difference so I just encourage you if you're listening put yourself out there put yourself in those situations because sometimes you don't realize just how much of the nurturing you can get from that situation and how energizing it is but I'm super fascinated about just a conversation of connection and relationships and, you know, this bigger purpose outside of just like what we're doing every day with our work. That is just so unhealthy, right? Like there's more to life than just work, even if it's your own business. And what I love so much about what you said and how you guys started the book on breath, it is something like you mentioned that you can access any time in the day. Like for me, I'm still working on breathing. I don't breathe properly at all. I hold my breath significantly. It is something I'm trying to work on. And Every time I just sit there, even yesterday, I took like 10 minutes and I just did breath work on the Peloton app. And I was like, wow, I just feel significantly better. So I love that you guys had started it with breath in your book. And then sorry, the last thing, because I'm, I'm really passionate about everything that you said is sleep. You were, And also this kind of tags into breath. Let's talk about mouth taping. I thought my husband was crazy. He essentially was saying what you were to me, that nasal breathing is really important. And he was telling me, you you at night sleep with your mouth open. I was like, I do? I don't even realize. So he was mouth taping. I thought he was crazy. I didn't do it for a few months. Now I'm religious about it. Like I do it way more than my husband. But what are your thoughts about mouth taping? Do you do it? Has it helped you? <laughs> my advice would be to start during the daytime. Doing it in those, whether it's active listening, whether it's you know when you're doing household chores, when you're you know doing the dishwasher. Because for someone like me, I had a very abrupt transition to mouth taping, but so many people swear by it. And we, our older daughter is uh, definitely a mouth breather, and we were inquiring with her pediatric dentist about doing mouth taking, and he was like, "Let's not start there." <laughs> It works for a lot of people, but it may not work for everyone. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. I love that you mentioned it to do it during the day. And I actually want to talk about, I think it's your last chapter where you guys say, be water, my friend. I love this. Can you talk more about what that chapter is, what it signifies, and why it's so important for all of us to be like water? The only thing we want people to be rigid about is being flexible because your body changes, what you need through the decades of life changes, the science continues to change. And I think right now we live in a very polarized kind of tribal world and where we see a lot of the wellness is, is through a lot of influencers who have built a base of a certain type of modality, whether it be fitness or nutrition. And it's not in their advantage to start talking about new things. They've built a metaphorical church in one way. And a lot of times it can hinder their ability to be open to different points of view or evolution of science. So we've changed our own lives in so many facets of wellness. And, and we just encourage everyone to be flexible with their own routines and, and with their own viewpoints. I love that because I think people put a lot of pressure on themselves like, gosh, I'm not 
hitting the workouts every week or I'm not getting enough protein or, oh gosh, like I didn't sleep that well these past few days. It's like life happens, things happen, and it's okay. No judgment on yourself. And I love that you guys are approaching wellness in that sense of you might have different seasons in your life. I'm curious, actually, you mentioned that, you know, your own wellness rituals shifted after having kids. Like how have you kind of approached that now as a mother with two young daughters? So the biggest change has been more about integration than addition since becoming a mom. And I I think prior to having kids, I was able to really explore so many wellness passions and enjoyment. And I think, you know, when I go on to a future phase of life, when my kids have left, I look forward to returning to that. But I know now that hour and a half yoga classes are are really just not a part of my reality. And I don't have any judgment on it's not good or bad. It's just not what I'm able to do while still run a business and care for my children. So integration has really been the key. Nostril breathing is is, is a great example where we did all sorts of meditation. We did the Vedic learning when we were in New York where you have a mantra and you do it 20 minutes, two times a day. That's just not a reality of getting the kids out from school. So the through line of everything we do right now is is really about integration and how do we model the types of healthy behaviors. We love bringing our kids to the gym when no one's there so they can start to see mom and dad doing some functional exercises, working out. They get inspired to do it and it's just hopefully how they live their lives. Oh gosh, I love this, Colleen. And you know, I want to end on one last question. I know we touched upon it throughout the interview, but if someone's listening and they're like, listen, Colleen, I'm hearing you. All of this still sounds overwhelming. I have a really busy job or I just have a newborn, like wellness. I don't even know where to start. It just seems like a lot. What would you tell that person who is thinking that way? I hear you. I agree. Take an inventory, figure out which one of these eight pillars is going to have the highest ROI and the highest yield. Start there and don't worry about anything else until you've started that. I love that. That's true. And for me, the longest thing or the pillar that I've been taking seriously over the past few years is sleep and nutrition, you know, having three meals a day. But now that I've got that in place, I'm now graduating to, okay, I really need to increase more movement in my life. So I think you saying pick one thing and just focus on that is just so much more approachable than trying to do everything at once because that's just not sustainable at all. So I love that approach. And I'm so excited about this book. We'll put all the details in our show notes. It's definitely a more approachable way to bring more joy and well-being in your life. And I just love everything that you're putting out there, Colleen. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I could talk to you for hours. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.